Hey, y'all. I'm Casey Bell of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. And today I'm revisiting the awesome book, Rigor in the RTI and MTSS Classroom, Practical Tools and Strategies. Back in episode 194, you might remember me talking with Dr. Barbara Blackburn about it. Well, today we're talking with Barbara Blackburn as well as with her co-author, Dr. Bradley S. Witzel. You're going to love this. This is such a practical book for helping you understand how to work with kids in the RTI and MTSS framework. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Barbara Blackburn has dedicated her life to raising the level of rigor and motivation for professional educators and students alike. Her books are focused on providing concrete examples that are easy to understand and use in the classroom. A few of her book titles are Rigor Made Easy, Getting Started, Rigorous Schools and Classrooms Leading the Way, Rigor in Your Classroom, A Toolkit for Teachers, Rigor in Your School, A Toolkit for Leaders, Literacy from A to Z, Rigor for Students with Special Needs, Motivating Struggling Learners, 10 Ways to Build Student Success, Rigor is Not a Four-Letter Word, Rigor and Assessment in the Classroom, Rigor and differentiation in the classroom. And I think she's up to 22. The, uh, um, she has dedicated her life to helping teachers improve their work with children and students of all ages. Barbara has been a teacher, a professor, and now an education, educational consultant. She often can be found working with teachers and administrators in workshops as well as presenting at state and national conferences. Dr. Bradley S. Witzel is an award-winning teacher and researcher who works as a professor and director of the MED in Intervention Program at Winthrop University, which is in South Carolina. As a classroom teacher, he worked in multiple settings, teaching mainly math and science to high-achieving students with disabilities and at-risk concerns. Brad has authored more than 50 publications, including the recently published book, Teaching Elementary Mathematics to Struggling Learners in Guilford Press, and edited the book, Bridging the Gap Between Arithmetic and Algebra, Council for Exceptional Children. A popular professional developer, he has delivered nearly 500 workshop, conference, and video presentations on intervention, delivery, and mathematics. He has served as a member of multiple state-level MTSS and RTI governing boards and works with districts on guidance documents to guide educators through MTSS processes. Most importantly, he is the father of two, husband of an educator, and son of two educators. Today, we're revisiting rigor in the RTI and MTSS classroom, practical tools and strategies. Say hi to everyone, Barbara and Brad. Hi. Hey, everybody. How are you? Well, I appreciate you all joining me. And uh, we've got, uh, so we're, we're taking a look again, you know, because back in uh, um, episode 194, Barbara and I, Barbara and I talked a little bit about the uh, um, rigor in the RTI and MTSS classroom, and Brad, it's, it's awesome to have you join us now. So what I'd like to be able to do in, in revisiting is uh, um, I'd just like to start by talking about uh, rigor in the RTI and MTSS classroom and, you know, how'd the idea to work on a book together come about before we get into the book? You know, is, working together has got to be an interesting challenge in itself. So tell me a little bit about how that came about and how it worked out. Oh, I'm going to let you take that one first, Brad. Uh, well. <laughs> 
Barbara and I have known each other for well over a decade. And although it appears that we go in different directions and cover different aspects of education, we actually are quite in tune to trying to help students who need extra assistance, whether that be behavior, whether that be academics. So we're having a conversation one day about you know, some new laws that were coming in. And although we call RTI and MTSS new laws, it really is back from, from the turn of the century. But we were discussing how that law has taken place in schools and states. And we said, would it be interesting if we try to get some more detail about how to increase rigor? So rather than just meeting minimal legal requirements, how about we really focus on student performance? So that's how we got started with our conversation. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and I think one of the other pieces that, that was really important, um, you know, I'm speaking nationally and internationally on rigor. And one of the top questions that just came up over and over again was, this is all great, but my special needs students can't do rigor. You know, they're not capable of doing rigorous work. They're not capable of meeting high expectations. And I knew that they could, but I wanted somebody who was a specialist in that area to help me communicate that message. And so it really was a nice blend for the two of us to be able to get that message across. Excellent. So, so did you use any, I mean, cause you guys are in two different States, right? <laughs> so did, did <laughs> yeah. you use any technology yeah. to help you collaborate? I mean, is there anything specific? Well, a, a lot of email. And, yeah, a lot of email. Yeah. I mean, God love it today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're not real high tech with it. Uh, <laughs> partly because what we do is, we uh, break down what we're going to do in terms of the content. You know, Brad will come up with a list. I'll come up with a list. We get that formatted into here's what we think we want the book to be. And we split it up because uh, our talents are different. So, for example, you said that Brad taught math and science. Most of my work uh, was language arts, social studies. So we really sort of go through and say, okay, Brad, you know, which ones are you most comfortable with? Here are the ones I'm most comfortable with. And we split it up. And then we put it together. Uh, usually, you know, I take the first crack at, okay, I've got everything now. Let's make sure it's practical enough. Let's, let's make sure it meets the needs of all grade levels and all subject areas. And so once I do a revision, I send it back to Brad and he does it. And so... We actually end up coming up with a really good book, and we don't have to meet face-to-face -face because our styles work so well together. Oh, that's excellent. And, and I got to tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't read like different people writing. It, uh, it doesn't read, you know, there's no, uh, to me, there's, I don't feel any bounciness like, you know, oh, this, it goes this way for a little bit, and then it goes that way for a little bit. It, it feels like just one writer. Well, and we appreciate that. If you're very familiar with team teaching, right? Yes. The best team teachers are ones when you don't know who's lead and who support. And I think we both took that ownership in every chapter we went through. So, yep. so thank you. And I think, yeah, I think it was funny because whenever, like, I would find something that I thought needed to be revised uh, because maybe it wasn't clear, uh, I would send an email or I might call Brad, you know, but I, I get him the information and say, you know, I just don't get this. <laughs> Can you explain to me? And he'd go, oh, yeah, you know, I, I thought that might be unclear. So it was, we were on the same page with so much 
uh, that it really made it, it easy. And I think one of, uh, one of the concerns, and I think we both had it, is that RTI and MTSS are, those are not just for teachers of special needs students. So we needed to make sure that it was applicable to everybody. And so one of the advantages was if Brad did write something that was uh, too special eddy, then <laughs> I would say, well, Brad, I don't get this. But <laughs> explain it to me. Um, and with the rigor, it was the same thing for him. You know, if he read it and it didn't make sense, then he could tell me. Uh, so, I, you know, I guess we've just known each other so long and everything. It, it really just worked. That's awesome because you, you, I mean, it it works. You you read it and there's, like I said, there is no disconnectedness. It doesn't feel like, you know, sometimes you read a book where there's a lot of collaboration. You can tell the difference between chapters. And you can see what they did where the chapters sound different. And uh, even though they've tried to edit it, it doesn't. It's not that way at all. And it uh, just feels like one author, nice smooth sailing. So, kudos. <laughs> I'm, I am glad to hear Thank that. You. I'm, I am glad to hear though that uh, you guys weren't like you know like mailing manuscripts manuscripts back and forth that we're not that <laughs> <laughs> and those days are long past aren't they <laughs> yes i hope so that's <laughs> the uh any, anyway so um so let's talk a little bit about you know what rti and mtss mean and, and where did mts come from because you know the term rti has been around for a while but it seems that suddenly dun da da here's mts can you talk a little bit about that yeah, um, obviously, with response to intervention, the original conversations about that were trying to identify students with learning disabilities in a different realm, right, rather than using IQ scores. So that's where RTI was born or founded. Um, when it came through, what was happening was just the term response to intervention. Some states took it upon themselves to start changing that a bit, like I think Pennsylvania at one point was response to instruction and intervention. And others were noticing that we're all waiting for the intervention to save the child. And when I say, quote, unquote, save, and suddenly we're, we're focused on good intervention rather than good instruction. So along comes MTSS. Not only does MTSS kind of grab the, and I should spell that out, multi-tiered system of supports. And not only does it grab that core instruction piece to help build better instruction for all students, it also grabs behavior in there. Because a lot about behavior needs to be instructed. We're, we're very reactionary. We're very intervention-based rather than preventative up front. So MTSS, although it looks like it's, you know, some revolutionary idea, it's just evolutionary coming from not so efficient and effective ways of identifying children with learning disabilities to how do we improve everybody through this process. Excellent. Thank you. That's, you know, it. Uh, Barb, did you want to say something? We got... No, no, no. This is Brad's area of expertise, and we have very poor responsibilities. <laughs> nice. Um, awesome. Because, you know, it, it's, it is interesting what you're talking about. I, and I do remember that, where people were kind of, you know, just changing it, RTI, to be whatever they wanted it to be. And uh, uh, they kind of lost, you know, kind of lost that uh, control there. I think lost what they were supposed to be doing. Um, you know, so before we leave this area, what I'd like to do here is I'd like to, Barb, for you to take a few seconds to talk about, you know, rigor and and often the thought which you have named a book nice, <laughs> nicely about this. But rigor is often thought of as a four letter, not so nice word. Um, could you mention that just a little bit? And uh, then we're going to combine everything together here. 
<laughs> yeah. It's interesting because my uh, stepson, who was 12 when, when I married his dad, uh, he was looking at my book and he said, I don't understand this title. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, of course it's not four letters, R-I-G-O-R. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, four-letter words are assumed to be, you know, curse words. So uh, I did choose that title on purpose because so many people have a negative perception of rigor. And, you know, I, I define rigor as uh, having high expectations, providing the support so students can meet those high expectations, and demonstrating learning at high levels. And if you think about it, that's pretty much what good teaching is. I mean, I got into teaching to help students grow to be more than what they were at that moment. And that's really what rigor is, despite all of the myths about it being more work and harder work and only being for gifted students. Uh, it's only the standards. It's only a certain textbook. None of that is true. It is all about taking students from where they are and helping them get to the next place. Excellent. And, and so what I want to do is I want to use these two talk, these two explanations about RTI and MTSS and, and the, and rigor. And let's now start getting a little closer to the book. Um, one of the things that, uh, um, I understand is that professional development um, on MTSS, RTI, is critical. However, teachers often complain or are concerned that their PD is a waste of time. What are the characteristics of effective staff development? Brad, why don't you talk about the content of that, and then I'll talk about the process of it. Okay. When it comes to the content of, of a multi-tiered system of supports, First thing that needs to happen is to make sure that we understand that we're all in this together, right? We have some core beliefs that need to be explained. There was a time, hopefully decades ago for most of us, when you referred a child for special needs services, what you were hoping to do is get that kid out of your room. But over time, that child has not left the room. And now we're even making it more known that not only is a child not going to leave the room, we're probably going to be putting professional development into your you and your classroom to improve the services to all the students in that room, hoping to impact that student, that one child per se. Um, so professional development needs to does need to change, and I fully understand why teachers don't always take to it kindly because right it ends up being a bunch of talking heads. We sit and we gather up and we talk in circles about things what we've already known, and in the end, not much growth occurs. MTSS is going to take us in a different area. We've got to deal with a couple of things here. One, core instruction needs to be research focused. And by research focus, what that means is things that we thought were good practices may not actually have research based on it, or at least not even a, an underlying principle. So we're going to have to take more research and empirically validated practices. The other thing is how we instruct changes. Um, our overall focus of what we're doing in our classroom changes. And maybe in the end, we're going to start realizing that, you know what, I got some things I got to do in my classroom to affect some students. So yeah, the content's going to change assessment practices, fidelity within there, um, analyzing teacher versus program specific um, obstacles in there. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it ends up becoming more of an embedded P PD that will make these kind of changes. And so I did my doctoral work on effective professional development, and I actually studied schools and districts 
who had won an award for their staff development, a national award, and they had to show at least three years of achievement score gains that they could tie to their professional development. And it was really interesting. Some of what they said uh, is going to sound very common sense-like. Uh, for example, they said professional development uh, teachers and, and leaders and anyone else who's involved need to be actively engaged. So, like Brad said, too often we do the talking head. So we want to shift away from that. Uh, it needs to be relevant. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if I'm an elementary teacher and I'm sitting in a session that's totally high school oriented, that's not going to work for me. So it needs to be relevant to the audience. Uh, then you move into a couple of things that are a little bit, a little bit different. Uh, one is shared decision making, that the decision about what and how of professional development needs to be a decision that is shared by all stakeholders. And I want to be clear about what that is. Um, it is that, that they do have a stake in it. There are discussions. Um, it's not that the teachers say, we really want this, and the principal says, yeah, but I've got money for this. You know, there there is that collaboration. And I want to give you an example of what it's not, because I had this happen with one of my former grad students. The principal sent out a survey at the beginning of the year, and the teachers prioritized one, two, and three what they wanted to do. And he put it up and didn't do any of it. But he said, well, for your opinion. Well, that's not shared decision-making, okay? It needs to, to be true collection. And then the last one, um, and I did find this real interesting. Uh, I was expecting to hear this from the superintendents and principals I interviewed. I, it surprised me that the teachers were the strongest proponents of this. They said there needs to be accountability for the professional development. That part of that is the professional development should show increased learning. And that might or might not be test scores, but you should be able to show it based on student learning. And second, you should be able to show it based on teacher use. And the way that many of the teachers explained to me, they said, you know, I go to a professional conference or we have a workshop and, you know, nobody even asked me about it afterwards and I'm not expected to share. Not expected to try to coach somebody else. You know, there's really nothing. And so effective professional development has that component, a real key piece for long-lasting change. Awesome. You know, and it's, I think one of the things that uh, happens over time is that sometimes it just gets easier to say, I, you know, I, I don't want to go, I want to stay, I can do more in my room than needing to go learn this or, uh, you know, whatever. And I, and I think it is so important, um, like you said, that we, we, we have to spend time because we don't, you know, oftentimes we don't really, really, we don't really not know what we don't know until you kind of get pressed to figure out what you don't know. If I said that <laughs> too messed up, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I know what I'm trying to say. No, no, you're both like this. So last week I was working in a high school that's gone through to a very um, intensive restructuring. And so I'm meeting with the department chairs and there's, and they were saying, you know, it's funny, the district and the principals are asking us not to do PLCs and data collection because they're so worried about us just trying to prep for classes. And they were actually mad that they weren't involved in more professional development nice. because they said that's what drives our professional growth. But the administrators 
for all good reasons, were actually trying to reduce that, thinking it was a burden on teachers. When these were these were professional teachers, this is no burden. This is part of us. So, I mean, it is funny when we, like Barb says, when we're trying to get hold of what do teachers need to achieve, teachers know it. They, they want they want better enduring, you know, in classroom professional development. So, that, that's awesome. They uh, very cool. So let's use this as a uh, a chance to kind of look a little more closely at the book. And I, yeah. you know, I I could <laughs> I could talk to you about each chapter by chapter. And, I'm, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to just I've got a couple that I'm going to focus on because uh, I'm not so sure you guys want to stay with me for several hours. <laughs> But the uh, um, chapter three is fascinating. It's so helpful for anyone understanding the need for a change in mindset. It's titled Prevention, Then Intervention. Could you talk a little bit about this chapter and, uh, and, and specifically get into one of the most important takeaways? Oh, I, I, absolutely. In order to understand why we put that title in there, we had some amazing contributors to the book who gave us thoughts and quotes and where to go with it and examples. So we had um, we had national leaders, we had district leaders, we had state leaders, we had interventionists, we had core teachers who would, were working with us on the side as we asked them to fill out surveys. And one of the big takeaways from the administrative side was that all too often, everybody's trying to find the intervention that answers all problems. When the truth is we need to put in a, a good core instruction in place to prevent bigger problems from occurring. Um, one of the neat, uh, neat things we were working with is I was out in the State Department and they wanted a three-year cycle and I loved it. But the districts initially, this is years ago, were not excited because of year number one, all I talked about was core tier one instruction. And it wasn't until they had data that they had shown improvement on core tier one until we would talk about tier two, tier three interventions. So at first, it was funny, several districts were, were tapping out of the large group saying, well, that's not what we want. We want interventions quick. But year three, they all came back. Every last district in the state came back and said, you know, you were right. Um, we're not seeing any growth in our core. And so we have these big problems. And I said, so you're putting interventions when you really have a core problem. In a math world, it's like saying, you know, none of our kids understand fractions. So let's just go on and do something else. Well, now we've skipped over fractions, which means slope later on won't be understood. Geometry is going to be struggling. And even all the way through calculus, the children will be struggling with these fractional concepts. So this helps us go back and have a better instructional upfront. That way we prevent future problems later on. And preventions may not be the nicest term out there, but it's a, a, a solid term of explaining good instruction prevents false problems later on. In other words, problems that don't need to occur. So one of the big takeaways from this is take a look at your data, find the areas where your students struggle the most. And then, yes, you'll need a temporary intervention in place to help those kids. But the main goal then is go back to finding where that instruction is coming out in your grade level standards and teach teachers to do a great job of delivering that instruction. Yeah, Brad, I, you know, when I first looked at that, uh, chapter title, I was like, okay, I need to think about this a little bit. But then I thought about something you told me, oh my gosh, it's been 10, 12 years ago when we wrote our first book together, Rigor for Students with Special Needs. And you were talking specifically about students with learning disabilities. 
And uh, what you said to me, and it has stuck all this time, was that the majority of students with learning disabilities are at or above average intelligence. The issue is not their intelligence. It's how we teach them to meet their needs. So it's not about them being smart or not. It's about how do we help them unlock their potential. And I have never forgotten that. And I think that ties in really well to this prevention piece. Love it. Excellent. Just good stuff. I and let's let's now go even um, deeper into where we are with the book. And one of the things that uh, it comes out clear is you, you have a section that's focused on evidence-based instruction. And what I want to talk about is this. Evidence-based instruction is a core component of MTSS and RTI. Can you give us a few evidence-based strategies for the classrooms? Um, sure, I'll take that. Uh, the instruction piece, uh, those were mine with a lot of guidance from Brad. The way we break it down, it's actually two chapters. And in the first of those two chapters, we do general recommendations and then we do math recommendations. And then in the second chapter, we do literacy, reading and writing across all areas of the curriculum. And we use John Hattie uh, with Visible Learning, but we also use some key researchers within the special ed literature. So when you talk about just general recommendations, you talk about having explicit and systematic instruction. It's not enough just to do group work because... They're not going to learn it that way. Uh, I love discovery learning, but many students don't get it if that's the only way you teach. Um, the notion of direct instruction, and sometimes that gets a bad rap, but it's very effective. Um, a couple of others using graphic organizers, and the good news is most teachers do that, but you need to make sure that they're effective. Uh, in fact, I was in one classroom. It was a kindergarten classroom. And the teacher was so excited. She said, I have something to show you. And she went over to her wall where there were a lot of shelves. And she pulled open three or four shelves. And she had files of 180 graphic organizers, one for each day of the school year. Wow. And I was just like, yeah, okay, that's not going to work. <laughs> Too much. But those are really good. Uh, related to assessment. The notion of formative evaluations being real critical within that self-questioning and self-evaluation and really giving them positive feedback. So all of those are some general things. And I know when we did the show before, I think we did some specific examples of each. Uh, when you shift over to math, math can they verbalize what they're thinking? Um, can you show them models? of what good problem solving looks like, uh, making sure they have effective guided practice. And, you know, an interesting one I think we don't always do is the frequent cumulative review. I think we review a lot, and then once they take a test, we don't continue. <laughs> and so that's real important. And then in literacy, I, again, some of these are going to sound really familiar um, to your teachers. Have them write about something they read, whether that's a science article about biomes or a story. Um, teaching them and having them write summaries and taking notes. And taking notes is not copying the PowerPoint. It, and you have to teach this. You, you look at the PowerPoint. If it's got 20 words on there, you have to pick four 
and be able to write those down and then explain it later. So note-taking is real important. Uh, increasing how much they write, that's something we don't do uh, as much. It's just providing lots of time. And that doesn't mean it has to be formal writing. Uh, it can be a lot of informal assessments, everything from exit slips up. So that is the three-minute version of evidence-based strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. I, I appreciate it. The uh, it, the you know, and it's. I think sometimes uh, you know it's kind of like what you're talking about with the graphic organizers that uh, people are just looking for something to that fits the name instead of thinking about the effectiveness of it. And uh, I think it's important for them to understand that there are some things that uh, you know need to go away, and there are others that uh, are in that effectiveness uh, category. So uh, I like that a lot. The uh, you know, ch chapter six begins this way. Assessment is often considered the backbone of MTSS because instructional and curricular decisions are based on data. Could you talk about this? Well, it, it goes exactly with what we were just talking about with instructional practices. If you have a practice that works or a teacher says, well, why is my, I do this in my class and it's not listed under an effective instructional practice. Well, well, then how would you justify it? Well, you'd have data that would support what you're doing in comparison to other approaches. Assessment is definitely the backbone. It's the backbone of, of education in general at this point, but MTSS really puts it out front. So three general types of assessments, just to keep note of, we use a screener to figure out who, right? And that could be students in the gifted ed. We could find students who are high achieving in there, but you use a screener to find out who's struggling, who's on the borderline of struggling, and maybe who's far ahead. We then do some diagnostics. We find out why, right? So in what areas is this student far ahead? And a lot of screeners these days, they come up with some details in there that they, they, they get close to it. But a, an effective classroom teacher will be able to do some good diagnostic work to figure out exactly where the student struggles. And then we, got to, we put an intervention in place that we do some progress monitoring. We've got to find out on those cumulative approaches, how well is a student performing? And not just the intervention in core. So if I'm doing an intervention in one deficit area over here, I wanna make sure if that's a third grade student, us helping in that one area, is that impacting them in third grade? So you have to keep a consistent balance of quick assessments. Don't overdo it with assessments, right? We all think of assessment and assessment days, and that's just, that's just done wrong. We need to have quick, assessments to gauge where we are and how well students are growing. Uh, just, just one thing that we added in there, we had Ted and Jen Ginnerman, who are district directors in Wisconsin, dif different districts. They had a great set of assessments that we, we adapted and we put in, and it's how to analyze whether your intervention is working and is the intervention working because the intervention is good or is the intervention working because the teacher's got some, you know, special ability to connect with students. So we've got some internal fidelity issues in there for assessment as well. But but again, assessment is so heavily involved when you're trying to put together, first, if you have any new type of program you're putting out, assessment is needed. But for MTSS, we use that assessment to, to drive our instruction and interventions directly. That, that's excellent. And that's interesting what you're talking about with the idea that uh, um, is the assessment Good because of some other variable. <laughs> That's right. Well, we all know, we all know those, ma we got teachers who have magic. I don't know if I ever did, but <laughs> I certainly knew teachers who just, I, I could give them a, 
a box. And suddenly next thing I know, I've got a kid learning, you know, AP English. <laughs> yes. How did that happen? I don't know. But other teachers, they need a program to drive them. So again, you, you've got to be able to weed that out of which one is driving your, your student performance or lack thereof. Excellent. The, uh, it, let's, let's kind of push forward because now I want to look at uh, chapter seven because in chapter seven, we get into some social emotional learning. So, and it's titled behavior and social emotional learning through RTI MTSS. Yes, this is stated in, in the beginning. Through a positive approach, reinforcement is connected to the behaviors that you want to see rather than you don't want to see. <laughs> Could you talk about this just a little? Well, anybody who's got a child knows exactly what this means, right? <laughs> yes. Child starts messing up, and what do we say? Stop it! <laughs> um, so, so I'll give you a funny thing that, of course, this wouldn't be my own child. <laughs> All right, but my child's about two. And she's got a new she knows. So what does she do? Well, she picks it. And she probably did it a couple of times until we noticed what it Oh, yuck. So then she hears yuck. And that's gross. <laughs> but she hasn't learned what else to do about that itchy nose. So now what does she do? Well, she has an itchy nose. She goes and hides from me right in front of another set of adults. And she picks her nose in front of them. Nice. <laughs> until she notices there's a lot of nose going on. And then, you know, so no one's taught her what's called a replacement behavior. She's only heard no stop. But what she hasn't learned is what to do that we find, you know, more appropriate. So the same thing works in academics. If a student needs attention badly in class, some of them raise their hand at appropriate times. Other ones have learned, well, I get a lot of attention if I just start yelling. If that doesn't work, I've got others who start physical, you know, what may be considered, you know, an aggression behavior to another. Now they get the attention that they want. What we're talking about here is, Yes, reactions do occur, but you can't expect a child to do better with social emotional growth unless you teach it to them directly. So what Barb and I are trying to describe here is if a child is off task, teach them what it is to be on task and why to be on task. If a student's doing poor in their homework, an academic behavior, teach them when to do homework, how to do homework, how to get help when doing homework. So we we want to really focus on the positive aspects of behavior rather than just the reactionary pieces. Well, and interestingly enough, that goes back to the evidence-based piece because yeah. there's two <laughs> evidence-based uh, recommendations that tie very clear clearly to this, which is teacher clarity right. and uh, explicit modeling. That's right. And that's exactly what Brad just described. You've got to not only explain what they're doing wrong and explain what to do to do it right, but you also need to show them. Uh, because many students, if you just tell them, oh, my gosh, my stepson, he's still, if I just tell him something, it just goes one ear and out the other. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a big smile on my face because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I've, got two, I've got two teenagers. I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's 20 and he hadn't grown out of it yet. Mine are in that same wavelength. They're the, they're in their 20s, so it's like you know. I, I got to tell you, you still got to work on it. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it really is. So the uh, you know an, another important part of MTSS is is that you know teachers, both core classroom teachers and those who specialize in working with students with special needs you know, other school specialists and leaders, they work together. 
And many people criticize the concept of meetings as being unproductive or that, you know, they waste their time. You know, I, I, I just, I could do something better with my time. How can we make sure that meetings of a, of an MTSS team are positive? Well, that, that is a very common concern. And we've got uh, a pretty clear piece here in this book. And some of it, uh, we actually pulled from some of my leadership books, uh, because we give principals recommendations of, of what to do to make an effective meeting. And some of them, again, are going to be common sense. You know, set your time, not only your start time, but your ending time, and stick to it, <laughs> unless there's a really good reason not to. Um, if people are getting off target, then whoever's in charge needs to pull them back. And if you're really working with everyone, working together, you know, everybody needs to be a part of that, of getting people back on topic. And sometimes that's as easy as saying, you know, that's a great point, but we need to deal with it later because it's it's not what we're talking about today. Lots of people use the parking lot. They write it down on a post-it note, write, stick it over on a parking lot. You deal with it later. Um, but one of the real issues, uh, or actually two that I find are that, Many times teachers, school psychologists, counselors don't know how to respond to each other, particularly if it takes a negative turn. For example, um, sometimes teachers, you'll recommend something, you know, graphic organizers, and these are really effective, but I've had to learn not to use too many. And you get another teacher who gets very defensive because she takes that personally as you're telling me I'm using too many graphic organizers. You're telling me I'm a bad teacher. Um, and that's not what the person's saying at all, uh, or it may have been, but it's not personal. But I do find that any kind of comment that is about change, teachers tend to take real personally. It goes through a pair of glasses that say, are you telling me I'm a bad teacher? Hmm. And so when we do try to give feedback or talk about we need to do this now, or can we talk about this change? I think it's really, really important to go back to your data, uh, which is what Brad talked about earlier. So, you know, we've looked at our data, and our students are having trouble with problem solving. And, you know, one of the evidence-based strategies we have is to model proficient problem solving. So, you know, we may or may not be doing that right now, According to our data, we're not doing enough. And so, you know, having those kinds of conversations, but always focusing back on the issue and the data and the evidence is what you've got to do to keep a meeting productive. Excellent advice. And, you know, you do hear that a lot that, uh, you know, they just, and I think part of it's just that. The, the meetings not, may not be set up correctly or it just and, – and by that, I, I simply mean that it's quite possible that it quickly <laughs> devolves into something other than what's what was they were supposed to be doing, um, which is right. uh, unfortunate. So, it, to, to add to what Barbara said, we also set up that same leadership chapter. We took advice from the district directors who have initiated mm -hmm. RTA programs and MTSS programs. So we have a roles reward or roles rewards, roles and responsibilities chart. And that roles responsibilities chart is helpful. It, it shouldn't be the end all be it all, but it at least gives a start to who should lead what areas and aspects of MTSS. 
all too often, what we end up finding is when a major change occurs, everybody places it on one person's shoulders. So then it's it that person belongs to this process. And if that person happens to leave or or to wane in their work at it, then people think it will go away. So we're making sure that that there is leadership and it's a united leadership when it comes to it. Excellent, Ex- excellent. We have uh, you know, and and just as a note, because um, for listeners, when you get into the into the book, chapter eight is focused on the and that uh, the idea of that that MTSS team. And uh, what I just wanted to kind of you know get you to comment a little bit about uh, why is it a good idea to have a team focus like this where they're coming together to talk. Well, up to this point, a lot of things have been done in isolation. If even if we're talking about an elementary school, which is always considered to be more integrated, first grade team does their thing and you know, the fifth grade team does theirs. Right. It's content focused at middle school and high school. And then we have assessment. We have the assessment coordinator over here. The prim- So just for the reason of getting things done, we've had to separate out these ideas. Well, MTSS now is an all encompassing system. It's not a grade level focus. It's not a content level focus. It's not about just assessment. So now we need every party to, to know what each other is doing. And, you know, oftentimes we'll find out the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And in this case, we've got to have that shared governance. So instead of saying I teach math or I teach fifth grade, we're going to say, no, I teach all children. and I'm responsible for even students who are outside of my class. So. Yeah, and I think the other thing, Brad, um, make sure I'm on, on track with this, but to really make this work for all students, it's simply too much to put on one person's shoulders. That's fair point. It is. I mean, the systems change should not be person dependent. It's got to be, again, shared governance is so important. And we're talking about MTSS now, but we could be talking about any major reform. We could go to a business and we'd have the same conversation. So again, it's, it's shared governance when we're having major changes. Yeah, and it did. And once again, getting back to something you said, if you put it all on one person's shoulders, if that person leaves, <laughs> oops, <laughs> crash, you know that type of thing. So, and, and now we're talking about something that could be legally mandated in your state. So now we're thinking that one person's responsible for a legal mandate, mm-hmm. and now we just have compliance rather than trying to use this man make true improvement for all children. Right. Including those. Yeah. Very much so. So I got to say this, because one of the really cool things about this book is that, and and just bear with me how I'm going to say this, because I know I'm dorky, but hey, this is who I am. (laughs) Everything about this book screams practical, practical, practical. I mean, it just, it's practical. Can you talk a little bit about the resources included to assist the teacher? Because it really is. I mean, you got you, you can't turn a page without getting some sort of um, help, support, a document to use, a, a suggested element to use, or there's even online resources to go back and find. Love it. One thing that Barbara and I really agreed on was first, there's a lot of there's a lot of information out there on RTI and MTSS. Uh, there are federal guidelines on it. There, are almost every state has a mandate out for it. So we know that paperwork exists and if they wanna really le- read the long drawn out stuff, it's there. What we don't often do is give a lot of visual support and a lot of examples to explain how to make this at a classroom level, at a school level, and at a district level. So what we said the best way to do that is 
Zen by giving them all sorts of different examples and different content as well. Yeah, and I think uh, you're going to laugh at me, Steve, but uh, I have a basic rule when it comes to my books, and it's called the flip test. When I get the real thing, I need be, I need to be able just to flip through the pages. And on every single page, there either needs to be a chart or a diagram or at least one or two headings. That if there's an entire page and it's just straight text, then I didn't do my job. <laughs> it makes it easy to read and practical and a teacher can pick it up and use it tomorrow. Yeah, it's awesome. That's what, and that's, it's exactly how it is too. It's, they could use it tomorrow. And, you know, and it's funny because just what you said before, a lot of, a lot of books have to be, you have to get a translator for the book. And I don't mean they're in another language. I just mean, because it's just using all these, these words that you're going, oh my gosh, the words, the words, the words. And, and uh, instead, uh, what you have is you have uh, pictures, tables, charts, and uh, um, different ways of understanding and examples of what you're talking about. And so it, it does, it makes it very possible for you to, to, to read tonight, put in your plans and put in action tomorrow if you wanted to, which I love. <laughs> The uh, <laughs> good, it's good stuff. So, so rigor in the RTI and MTSS classroom, practical tools and strategies. You know, it's it's such a cool, awesome book. I mean, it, it's extremely timely and I think needed. I've shared it as so many times. <laughs> um, with the book, as well as the earlier interview that I did with that we talked, uh, where we talked together, Barbara, on episode one ninety four. And you know, before we close. Why do you think teachers and school administrators should should read rigor in the RTI and MTSS classroom? Brad, you want to take it first? Well, well, sure. For a couple reasons, this this is an important piece, and I think it's selling so well for a reason. The first is that in many states and areas throughout the country, districts included, this is a mandated thing. They hear that we have to do MTSS. And then they do it based on a compliance, right? It's the minimal compliance. What we wanted to do here is we need a practical way to do it. We give you leadership examples down to classroom examples that allow you to put this in your classroom immediately and impact not just the students identified who struggle, but impact every student throughout a school. So our the reason why this is such a good read for many people is it takes what has been mandated and it makes it useful, practical, Cool and successful. Yeah, and I would even go further than that um, because although I had a basic understanding of RTI and had worked with a lot of schools that did RTI, I wasn't real sure what MTSS was when Brad and I first talked about it. And on top of it being practical, you know, if you don't understand what it is, this is a great book. I mean, I tell people that with rigor all the time. I talk to people who go, oh, rigor is this, and it's not right at all. That's what my rigor books do. If you're going, hey, we've been told to do MTSS, and I've heard 10 different reasons, and I've heard all these different definitions of what it is, this gives you what it is, why it's important, how to do it, and how to work as a leadership team to make it happen. And that's what it does. It's it's so right on the money because that is uh, you know it's funny 
um, it, RTI and MTSS are one of those things that it's it's kind of like you know when you go to a party and someone says, "Hey, how you doing?" and uh, and you don't know their name, and uh, <laughs> you, you you go, "Oh, I'm doing good, I'm doing good," and you're really hoping that somebody else is going to say the person's name, or you're hoping that they're going to the minute go, oh, "Hey, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Steve," and uh, and you know, so people do that with MTSS and RTI, and I and I think it's a big reason why RTI a bunch of years ago there were people kind of changing it around what the whole point was and and uh and 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 that's why they need books like what you've created here because and you know it's and by the way i i don't get any nobody's paying me to say this this is an awesome tool and uh they uh um you've really got to to read it to understand that it explains this if you're struggling with really understanding what mtss rti and how um they impact how you can uh um, make rigor happen in, in these classrooms as well. Um, this book will make that happen for you, and I and I think it's an awesome tool because I do I do believe that uh, you know that's one of the the big problems is that uh, you know people too often will say things like oh yeah I I know exactly what you're talking about they just you know, <laughs> and they don't. <laughs> so with with that being said. Um, as we're getting ready to close, one of the things I want to make sure that I ask you is if a listener would like to reach out to either of you and learn more, what would be the best way? Well, for me, um, it's my website, which is BarbaraBlackburnOnline.com. Uh, let me forewarn you, if you just go to BarbaraBlackburn.com, you get somebody who writes terrorist thrillers about Washington, D.C., so don't do that. Nice, uh, nice. You know, make sure you come to Barbara Blackburn Online. Um, and there you can contact me. There's a phone number for me on the contact us page. Um, there's information about Brad. <laughs> there's all kinds of things. But I would also encourage your readers to go to free, which is really easy to remember. There are over a hundred free resources on the website. There are downloads from this book and all of my other books. Uh, there's podcasts. There's links to shows like yours. There's videos. There's just a little bit of everything. So BarbaraBlackmanOnline.com, best way to get a hold of me. For me, uh, I, I'm I'm at uh, Winthrop University. So my last name, first initial, Witzel B at Winthrop.edu. Uh, just a warning, I probably receive about 50 emails from outside people each week. So I try to get to everybody if you have more details. So be patient. Excellent. I will put this information in my show notes. And I... And I love it. The uh, it's it's been great talking to you all, uh, um, Barbara and Brad. I can't thank you so much for talking with me today. You know, rigor in the RTI and MTSS classroom, practical tools and strategies is a wonderful tool. It helps the practitioner understand rigor, RTI, and MTSS. Your book is so beneficial for helping the classroom teacher develop the tools for helping all kids be successful. You know, thank you so much for sharing with us, and I wish you both the best. Take care. Yes. Thank you, Steve. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.